0: Greetings and welcome to a special edition of a blog to watch weekly. This week we are featuring a production in association with our friends at Breitling. This was recorded during Geneva Watch Days but was being left for a very special moment. You may have seen in the watch press some information about what we're now going to talk about but David... Do view all.
1: Exactly. You are about to listen to a great discussion with the global head of sustainability, no less, at Breitling. And to give you a context on why this is important, regular readers of uh, blocked watches who have been reading us for several years might have noticed that, you know, sometimes we, we, we make these calls early, that, hey, something's going to blow up, something's going to, you know, just become really important in the world of watches. And that was true about watches getting smaller. We were saying that, you know, five years ago when this was totally not at all Happening and yet it's all over the place about colorful dials and a number of other smaller and greater developments in the industry. And now we have been covering the issue of sustainability and transparency or like thereof in the watch industry every now and then. And we are saying that look at this, look out for this, because in the next three to four years maximum, all the big groups and all the big brands will start saying, Oh, okay, we are sustainable, we are, you know, we are just very conscious and whatever. But the question is who starts first and Breitling is really making tremendous progress now as you will see with this launch so with the super Chronomet origins which is very important to them because it's the first one in their selection that has sustainable gold that is sourced in a traceable way all the way from the mine from this artisanal mine where fair wages are paid where they look out for the ecosystem and all that and this will create this ripple effect across the industry. It's a greater discussion and the same goes for lab-grown diamonds which this piece also has and by 2025 Breitling promises to have all of its gold from such mines and all of its diamonds to be lab-grown diamonds. This is of course part of a greater discussion for the luxury industry. I think this is very important to listen to because what you're about to hear will be a defining feature of the watch industry for the next three to five years at least.
0: You may be sitting there going oh I don't want to listen to another thing about environmentalism." Or- Sustainability, but genuinely, this is worth your attention. This is an organization taking it properly seriously, and hopefully, you hear us asking some questions which are proper questions challenging the status. All of which I have to say were responded to mm-hmm. very, very well. So, enjoy the episode, sit back, relax, get a cup of tea, get a drink, whatever takes your fancy. Sit back, relax, and have a listen to this special episode produced alongside Brightling. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to another A Blog To Watch weekly special And we're at the Breitling headquarters for Geneva Watch Days Here in, obviously, Geneva David, who are we sitting down with from the good ship Breitling? So we have the privilege to chat with Aurelia Figuerea. Uh, she is the Head of
2: Sustainability, or Sustainability Officer of Brightling, if I say mm-hmm. that correctly. I like to get titles right, was that okay?
3: Head of Sustainability, head you got su- it right. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And
2: I remember two years ago, there was a similar Brightling get together mm-hmm. here, and we just ended up at uh, this dinner, and we just started talking about sustainability, which is a very important topic, I presume, to all of us, to the listeners, and also to us, and especially, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. since it's your field of expertise. And now we are here, here, and we have one of the first pieces from Brightling that are a very tactile and physical realization of the goals and the values that we were discussing. So before we get into the watches, mm-hmm. could you please introduce yourself a little bit?
3: Yeah, great. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, thanks a lot. It's really good to be here with you today and to talk about sustainability and pick up on that conversation we were having two years ago here in Geneva. So I'm Aurelia Figueroa. I'm head of sustainability at Brightling. I have been in this role for two years, I'm the first person to hold the role, and I I think that we have a really exciting opportunity here at the brand to raise awareness both among our customer base and more broadly and have some volume on sustainability while doing everything we can within our sphere of influence.
0: Mm-hmm. So is your background one of being an expert on sustainability and environmental matters or is your background the watch industry and then you've transferred into no. this kind of realm?
3: So I've worked in sustainability for 15 years so my entire career and I've worked both on the environmental and social aspects of sustainability. I've had one other stay in the watch industry, which was about two and a half years. And I'm really glad to be back here at Brightlane today to work on this from the perspective mainly of sustainability specialization. I never call myself a sustainability expert. I don't, because I don't think I am one. And I think it's really hard to be one. Something that's so rapidly evolving, maybe if you achieve that, it will be around for a New York minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm specialised in sustainability. Yeah. That I can definitely say.
0: And so within the world of the watch industry, where do you find yourself in the process? Are mm. you Have you managed to transfer from being the end of the process whereby every does their thing and goes right now is this environmentally friendly is this sustainable to the start of the process
3: thank you rick because that is such a key question that you just asked this temporal aspect to it and i could not agree more with you because you know kind of uh, i won't say worst case scenario i guess worst case scenarios nobody even asks, right so that's that's zero the next step on the scale is oh we made this product hmm. how does it perform at least you're asking the question so we are are fortunately at the stage with Super Chronomat Origins that we asked these questions before we had a prototype. And we all sat together, so that's George, that's our top management, that's engagement also from externals to really provide feedback to us to say, where can we have social impact? Where can we have environmental impact? How can we guarantee product integrity and have a positive outcome for a product? for planet and for people. And this Superchronomat Origins is now the first piece, and we can get into it shortly, so I'll, I'll wrap it up concisely to have better gold, so fully traceable from a specific mine to the wrist, and traceable lab-grown diamonds. And this is for us a starting point. We will achieve both of these across the entire Brightling product por- portfolio by 2025, and we enable third-party verification along the way because these are big claims that we're making. And it's good if Brightlane says we did the following, we wanted to do that and say it. And uh, Sourcemap, our partner on that, has also looked through everything uh, at great deal. So it's probably
0: worth going into a bit of detail about what is sustainability, mm-hmm. because I think A lot of people will think environmentally friendly Mm. and green when they think sustainable but Mm -hmm. actually it's a lot wider than that Mm -hmm. and the reality is in the watch world the things that are made are really quite small it's not like you're operating a fleet of oil tankers or a petrochemicals plant so actually sustainability is probably a lot more people focused Mm -hmm. how you impact other people and relationships Mm -hmm. as much as it is are you recycling your cardboard in the Mm -hmm. office
3: i know Absolutely. So fortunately, you know, I think also given the state of climate emergency that we're under, the topic of planetary boundaries of environmental sustainability has advanced. There's also mechanisms whereby you can measure your impact and report on this. And I think where we need to see more broadly as a society catch up is on these social issues. Socioeconomic inequality, obviously a relevant topic considering the luxury industry, of which I believe, you know, is a symptom of socioeconomic inequality. And I think here we really have the chance to engage along our supply chain, on these topics. So for example, by ensuring that everyone who's contributed to the gold and diamonds in this watch have been paid illegal wage, who have positive working conditions, that you're not contributing to a false floor in the labor market by supporting forced labor. And being able to confidently say that is not something that I think was possible prior. When you think of recycled gold, which five days ago could have come from an artisanal mine or a large-scale mine, or diamonds, especially the small diamonds we use, which are very limited in traceability. So those are obviously key topics for us of how can we engage people along our supply chain. And our supply chain is then obviously from the origins to to the customer. And I think with this product, we're really going to have the opportunity to raise our voice in a positive way on this subject, because now we really have a reference point to say, and we've integrated it into our product and we have something tangible, and we're rethinking those mechanisms, those processes that we have to consider how they can have a more positive social and environmental impact.
0: And when you were doing the whole supply chain analysis, Mm -hmm. did you come across any particular surprises? Yes complete areas, complete yes. blind spots. It's obviously quite straightforward to think, well, where does the gold come from? Where yes. do the diamonds come from? Any particular example you could give us?
3: Uh, the one that's top of mind for me right now, the biggest surprise was uh, just the comparison for steel. So it's really straightforward if you if you think back on it. But we had some interest to address steel. We conducted a full scope product carbon footprint and we saw that steel, I mean, the steel industry is huge, right? So yes, there's steel and watches, but it's nothing. So while the steel industry as a whole needs to decarbonize. In fact, we see that it accounts for not even 1% of our emissions. So when we see messaging in the industry about recycled steel, it's all good and well, we all need to do our part, but it's not shifting the needle. We're talking about maybe tens of tons of carbon there. So that was a big surprise to us. And then there was a really clear alignment then among the gold and the diamonds and product integrity.
2: So you mentioned as having like a 1% contribution. Not even 1%. So what are the, some of the bigger factors yeah. in, in the operation? Of, Actually, of the it's, it's gold sourcing. Really.
3: And so we saw by engaging in artisanal and small-scale gold that we could have a greater net impact by having a handprint, thinking beyond footprint. But okay, if we positively engage with these mines to transition away from mercury, to have more positive environmental practices, actually the amount that we can avoid is greater than if we stick with the status quo of recycled gold, Hmm. where you're not going to be able to find deltas, where the deltas will be as a result of incremental change over time. It's already an, an industry that's fairly optimized. It can, can continue to be optimized, no doubt. But we really saw the opportunity of like, okay, that's where net impact can occur.
2: It's fascinating. I remember reading, a, I think, I don't I don't want to say something stupid, but I think it was like a WWF report.
3: 2018 or 2017,
2: uh, 2018, something yeah. like that on the sustainability yeah. of the watch industry. Yeah. And it was shockingly bad. So most of the companies got an F, basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. or maybe an E. Yeah. And just very, very few, literally one or two luxury brands actually stood out. And most brands included, some of the biggest names you can think of mm-hmm. got an F because mm-hmm. they just simply didn't reply to, the, to, to exactly. even like the inquiry. And I was like, how unbelievably convenient that is to work at these brands, mm-hmm. receive such an email from a, from WWF. It was not like somebody mm-hmm. like, a, hey, I'm a Mr. Nobody and I care about these things. But WWF, and they were like, I'm sure someone sat down at some point at these brands and said, what should we do? And let's just not reply. Mm-hmm. I was like, how much of a finger that is to the customers and to everyone in this industry and Thank they you. can blame secrecy and I'm like, it's not about secrecy anymore. You owe this when you make literally hundreds of thousands of something, right? Mm-hmm. So my question is, what, what are the difficulties when it comes to like the, the famous
0: secrecy of the watch industry and how can you move away from that? Yeah. For those that, you know, this is a podcast, just close their eyes yes. and looked into the distance. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah. It was a key question that we had with Super Chronomat Origins because we're disclosing the suppliers uh-huh. and there's a handful of suppliers that meet our criteria, mm-hmm. And we expect demand to grow for these materials. So it could be the competitor perhaps is now contacting these suppliers because we're basically like, you want to build the supply chain? Here's how you do it. Right. And, you know, was there a brief discussion about that? Yes, of course. And we said, no, we're doing transparency. You're going to say who the supplier is. And we believe that we have a strong relationship with the suppliers. We're continuing to build it. We feel confident that we'll maintain that. Yeah, sounds and good. It's fine if others want to contact them.
2: Mm-hmm. And they should. And maybe like new suppliers will come to the market and mm-hmm. say, hey, this seems to work. And there's an entire industry called the luxury watch industry that we could supply. Mm-hmm. So hopefully new mines like this will adapt these practices mm-hmm.
0: and that will lead us forward. Mm-hmm. Now they're just about to open gold mines in Scotland. So we can give you some really? supply, supply chains, artisanal gold mines in Scotland (laughs) there you go go.
2: (laughs) I was thinking about lab-grown diamonds and and they've been on my mind ever since I first read about them because I was like this is amazing I like diamonds not because you have to dig a huge hole in the ground and they are difficult to find I like them for their physical properties I do too (laughs) right?
3: Yes, <laughs> I love diamonds I have to say. Because see. they are yeah. like
2: super hard they are amazing in the sense that in anything we're surrounded in this huge and very expensive ballroom in a five-star hotel in the middle of Geneva and these tiny little stones are harder and can resist anything in here. You could put the entire mm-hmm. building on them and they, they would be like huh, whatever, right? And the physical properties also lead to like a light shoe and something, something interesting to happen but I don't want to damage the environment just mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy them. So my question is how do lab-grown diamonds compare? Because I know you still need a huge amount of energy to create a diamond. So what's the ratio between a lab grown diamond versus the footprint of a natural no. diamond?
3: So on mine diamonds, I can only speak generally because the data available is very general and most of it is sponsored by the natural diamond industry. So um, I think it's fair to say it's uh, not objective. For our diamonds, I can also speak about that because obviously we ask our suppliers to complete carbon accounting. And as a baseline, they're all carbon neutral. We know that's only a start. Point. They're in the process where they are not already using clean energy. They're using a mix of energies across the board um, of transitioning to renewable power. And we've supported one of our lab ground suppliers to transition to solar energy. So we deployed the Brightling Carbon Fund. We place a voluntary shadow price on carbon, and we allocated a portion of that to, to finance 10% of a large-scale on-site solar plant for him. And climate and carbon is a very important issue, obviously, given the nature of the emergency that we're in. As you know, it's not only that. It's also water biodiversity. And that's where we're seeing one of the biggest shifts between mine diamonds and lab-grown diamonds. And again, since traceability is almost non-existent for the small Malay stones, we couldn't testify to social and environmental standards if we're referencing an envelope, which is the level of traceability by and large in the industry right now for diamonds. And to me, that's not traceability. So we see a really positive potential there. And especially having entered the market when we did to identify these suppliers agreeing, on the fact of, okay, these are our shared values. This is how we're going to achieve them in the near term. Let's start business now and work it out together.
2: Yeah. I think it's it's important to emphasize the fact that these are not easy goals. It's not like yeah. it's a yeah. snap of a finger and then no. you suddenly find gold and it's easy and it's right by your feet and you can yeah. just turn it into a watch case likewise with diamonds, right?
3: Exactly. And if we waited until this was perfect, you wouldn't have that watch in your hands right now. We would still be in a boardroom.
2: Yeah, exactly. Get going yeah and it's also pushing the entire industry which is which is what this is about it's about you know just the, the washing industry is actually a lot of the times more dynamic than people give it credit for because there are like a few trailblazers in some of these different areas and sustainability i feel like as a low-hanging fruit that so few reach for just at this point point. and i applaud those brands who do because i feel like why would you want to be suddenly those who don't do this become that much more like like outsiders like mm-hmm. why would i support them if i have the option to do this? this. I think it's a big push to today's customers. Have you benchmarked or have you reached out to customers or done surveys or something or do some other research to better understand where the customer stands?
3: What we did at the very outset of our journey was we conducted a materiality assessment among a range of stakeholders in which customers were included to identify what they were interested in. And at that time, the feedback were the top three topics among 10 were social and environmental impacts along the value chain, two different ones, and then product integrity. And so it was on that basis of like, okay, this is where the focus is that we said, we looked at our material portfolio and we said, based on this, how do we achieve that? And we saw the greatest urgency and value in running on gold and diamonds first.
2: Yeah, I also remember like last year, I think it was, or maybe two years ago when mm-hmm. we were discussing, maybe it was it was just planned. Like mm-hmm. uh there's some um, sustainable packaging for various different you know, brailing washes and if you went to a store you would get this eco box basically mm-hmm. and you could ask for the nice one if you care about. But the brand realized, which I think is true, I can speaking for myself, is that However impressive these boxes are, sometimes you just put them on on in, in the, on the shelf or just in your basement or wherever, and you never look at it again. Mm-hmm. But the impact is still there. So of course it's like a traditional industry, the luxury industry. But people are slowly moving away from that. And mm-hmm. so what I would like to transfer towards is like other components of a watch, where sustainability is concerned. Let it be the box, the strap, mm-hmm. or other uh, elements, or the boutiques where in which you... it's sold. Okay.
3: Yeah, I mean think about all of the materials that we have there. We have glass, stainless steel, wood concrete, a range of materials. And if you think uh, just about leather, the amount of leather that we use for furnishings far exceeds that of the straps. The straps are small. So so exactly, we're, we're really trying to look across the whole Breitling environment.
0: And to what extent have your authorized dealers also been coming to you because of their own yes. corporate social responsibility needs saying, right, yeah. Brightling, you're a brand we sell, What are you doing?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. We're absolutely getting that across jurisdictions. I get a questionnaire from a retailer at least once a month, which is good. I'm glad to see that. And I think a lot of it is obviously driven by upcoming legislation
0: from their point of view. Mm -hmm. So what is next? We've obviously got the watch that you've shown us Mm -hmm. today. What, What can we expect to see coming next that fits into this model?
3: I think that it's going to be just a scaling up of our ambition level across our sustainability pillars. So again, product, planet, people, progress and prosperity. And it will be a mix of really ambitious targets that to me are are classified as radical innovation. So that's 100% traceable to the origin gold by 2025 uh, and 100% traceable and responsible lab-grown diamonds by 2024. So we have these radical innovations underway. We have a range of incremental innovations to support those building the sustainability base among all our suppliers, uh, beginning to raise that floor up in a really step-by-step process because this has to happen too. And then a scale up of ambition as it comes to planet. So this is something that's coming forth in our 2022 sustainability mission report, where we will be featuring targets there as well. Uh, and what we see in our 2022 sustainability mission report is we're now committing to 100% carbon neutrality across all of our measured emissions. So we measure across scope one, two, and three. That's all a bunch of lingo to break it down for everyone. That means that we're measuring for emissions that are occurring at brightling premises, and in our supply chain. So for example, if we source a gram of gold what is the climate impact? If we source pane of glass for a Brightling boutique, what is the carbon impact? If we sponsor an ad on the Burj Khalifa, what is the carbon impact? And accounting for all of that. And as a baseline, offsetting everything and establishing a meaningful price on carbon and transparently communicating on that. So applying the guidance of the Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition, increasing our voluntary internal price on carbon to 40 francs per ton and using the resulting carbon fund to support carbon reduction efforts are among our key suppliers and partners.
0: So do you see any particular projects that will offset directly by your input as opposed to by Mm -hmm. the sort of carbon trading? Is there anything you're specifically yes. going to, to do in terms of, I don't know, yes. planting trees or, uh, or, or some other decarbonization?
3: Absolutely. So we will be focusing on reforestation. That's something that we do both with our carbon fund and through corporate volunteering activities, where uh, from Greece to the UK to Switzerland, employees are engaging in full day events where they're really going into nature and making a tangible contribution on a local scale, to using our carbon fund to support suppliers in reducing their carbon. So a really concrete example of how we did that in the last year is we conducted the first carbon footprint at our at the mine from which we source 100% of its supply. And then we were able to identify the hotspots in terms of their emissions. One of those was the use of a diesel generator on site. And we asked them, is there a grid connection? Why are you using this? And they said, uh, yes, there is a grid connection. However, in the rainy season, it typically doesn't work because it's a really old grid. We said, okay, how much will it cost to uh, restore it? And we got the estimate and we contributed uh 50 of the funds and that's something that we'll we'll be able to see the reduction in carbon moving forward so just kind of really tangible projects both in our supply chain and at Brightling. the example of the watch boxes reducing our emissions because of the change in material and the change in logistics and also our commitment to use 100 percent renewable energy by 2025 which will also contribute to our reductions
0: and how many of the suppliers you've actually approached, have mm-hmm. you been able to change their attitude so that they can stay as suppliers, but under a more carbon friendly, exactly. rather than just selecting a brand new supplier?
3: Yeah, so we're able to count over 70% of direct suppliers to date. We've been able to engage in sustainability. And been a really rewarding process. So we've uncovered extraordinary practices that the suppliers just weren't communicating about. We've also uncovered instances where the suppliers just started running beautifully fast in one direction. Like I'm thinking of one supplier who already uses 100% renewable energy. They're using 100% biogas. They're recycling their waste heat. And I asked them about their carbon accounting and they said, carbon what? And I thought, wow, you're here, you're super advanced on like just implementing and getting it done. You haven't heard Heard of carbon accounting yet. I mean, who has heard of carbon accounting? It's totally understandable. And they didn't have a person directly dedicated to this role, so we said, "This is how you put it in place." They're smart people. It's like, okay, done, done, done. Results are very positive. So it's been a really rewarding process, and I think through that we get to explore our values together and and really see our shared values. So then that's good for the supplier relationship. Unfortunately, we have a team uh, in sustainability at Brightline, so we just lend out our expertise. They lend out their expertise. I mean, we're all learning from each other as we need to.
0: And is there any particular Cultural engagement Whereby you found mm. It's much easier To speak to I don't know South American suppliers Rather than Far Eastern Or Middle Eastern Rather than Australasian mm-hmm. Because there's a Cultural attitude Already mm-hmm. ingrained In terms of mm-hmm. Sustainability Or certain areas Of the world Or just Think about this more mm-hmm.
3: You know I would say To me Sustainability Is so personal That I wouldn't Attribute it to a region I would really Attribute it on the Personal level And it's honestly My belief Based on the work I've been conducting in the last two years and more broadly that I I do believe that generally speaking somehow there is at a minimum a shred of interest in sustainability in all of us but maybe from a different angle you know we all have different perspectives and I think those are the seeds that we've been able to find in our field from which we can really grow this collaboration together of like oh You're really passionate about that? Super, like let's run on it. Based on your knowledge of that, what do you think it means for this Uh, and developing it from there?
2: That's excellent. My my question is, uh, I'm looking at this new piece and I was wondering if there's like a a plan for a visual identifier to something like whenever you look at the product and it says, hey, I'm sustainable. Or it's like, is there a plan for something like that? Mm. And because, you know, like us who like watches, sometimes you can tell, we look at the product and we say like, it's double signed and you can tell like from the other end of the, like the the room that it's like a special piece for this and that because it carries a certain message or something like a like a certain moment in the history of that brand and I think this is an important moment not just in the history of brailing but also for the entire industry. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if there was like a possible visual identifier that people could hmm. do like this is what I look for and that's telling me that you have a sustainable watch.
3: It's a really good question. I feel definitely outside of my zone of expertise on that. I wish I was better at marketing and communications. It's definitely not my forte Uh so I feel a bit out of out of depth on that question I have to say
0: Well, I think we consider ourselves sustainable experts in marketing over here. You know, we, we'll, par- we'll partner with you to come up with this. We have sustained ourselves. <laughs> we so have far. sustained ourselves. We've managed to stay alive in Geneva yeah, exactly. for two days without much external help. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure I'm sure we could work on that together. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: We've, we've discussed whatever what goes into the product, but mm-hmm. I was also wondering about the manufacturer itself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So um, I see the new Apple headquarters and whatnot, oh, and yeah. there's always this talk about sustainability and it's not like e- you you can transform a watch manufacturer just like that because mm. it has various types of old machines that are still used for various purposes that you cannot replace and stuff like that. So what are what are the steps that you have already taken when it comes to the manufacturer itself to push it towards sustainability?
3: Yeah, I would look at that from a planet and a people perspective. And I mean, what we've already done is transition to 100% renewable energy. We uh, raised the commitment to transfer to 100% biogas at HQ. Uh, as well in our latest mission report. And then we engage our employees in nature locally. So for example, I was thinking of this beautiful day that we had in 2021 where we went out with a forester into the local environment and we conducted forest uh, cleanup services. And we went on this nature walk where this brilliant man, it was like this encyclopedia of information, really engaged our employees on like, how do ecosystems function? How does your local ecosystem function? And to me, that's the, that I think is also the core because I think that raises the level of sensitization. So then when we want to engage our employees in a plastic reduction initiative, it's like, yes. Uh, And not that, I mean, we are always the genesis of, of that. So many of our employees are already uh, such friends of nature but we can contribute to that just by raising awareness and allowing that to support our future initiatives. So zero plastic waste is another one that we have and when you hear that in the watch industry it may sound a bit disingenuous. In fact, we had 7 tons of plastic waste in our baseline year. And if that's a watch company, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a lot of stickers to take off a lot of brightlings, isn't it? Y-
3: yes. <laughs> Imagine what the scale is elsewhere and we know what the scale is elsewhere and we know what the state of the global emergency on plastic waste is and we see the need to do our part so we fundamentally engaged our stakeholders with Collaborazione Havetica and Let's Talk Waste two leading organizations in Switzerland who work on fundamental stakeholder engagement where we took an entire day to really take a step back and say okay let's talk about plastic where is it in our lives where is it in our workplace how do we want to redesign reduce it what are some of our shared initiatives and values that we wish to develop so really engaging our people at the outset in these initiatives rather than a dictum on high you know figure out how to implement it no we've really engaged them that was our employees those were key suppliers that also handle plastic those are key initiatives how we within our walls and then, of course, also beyond are working on this planet and people intersection.
2: I feel like everywhere you look, there's a possibility or there's a chance to make a positive difference, right? There is. Which is also shows just how little we've cared for these things for so long, for far too long. So it's, it's really, I feel like this discussion is important because it shows how, you know, you, you and the listeners and everyone can be part of this from the earliest of stages. Yes. You, you can tell, you can look back like 10 years from now. And I remember that chat. I remember that brand that started this whole thing or was there at the very beginning of it all. And 10 years from now, I think we will be shocked to to think that, oh, it's only been happening for 10 years. And we will have done a lot at that point. But, you know, we are at basically like the stone ages of sustainability in so many ways. We are. We are looking at whatever like the bigger companies are doing all over the world. And I feel like aspire as aspirational products like a luxury watch and the luxury industry is where we look for first because, you know, if you want to, if you're saving money on your detergent, you, you want to like spend less on detergent. But when you're spending thousands and tens of thousands on something, you feel like there's surely some sort of a room for improvement. So you have to be like the trailblazers for this and aspirational, like, I don't know,
1: idols for this.
3: I agree. I could not agree more. And I think there's an opportunity there to redefine what what does status mean, you know, and the luxury industry and status have been hand in hand for a long time. You know, you want to show your status um, through some type of power or might that you have. I do know, though, that studies are really showing that the most legitimate forms of status are those which involve compassion. And I think increasingly as products can begin to integrate values in them in the sourcing, then we're starting to have a conversation about what defines status in our society. And that's so key. You know, what's our North Star? And I see that into that uh, meeting point of sustainability luxury status to be a really interesting yeah point of discussion
0: now there will always be those that are like doubters skeptics there will be those who will be like yeah that's all very well and good but how much is it going to cost me Mm -hmm. so what is the impact you're seeing in this in terms of actual costs going forward do you think Mm -hmm. it's going to cost more do you think that actually Mm -hmm. as the scale builds it it comes back in and is Mm -hmm. positive. Where does it sit in the discussions Mm -hmm. with the other parts of the organization, like marketing and sales, who are like, well, wait a minute, what does this mean for elsewhere in the organization?
3: I think in terms of a net impact, if you look at the larger scale, some of the positive effects of increased supply chain reliability, these are going to be something that offset any particular costs, which may arise in the nature of doing business in this manner. So I think looking at the overall scope, you see, you see a net zero impact. I think sustainability has to be mainstreamed. And if it's not, then there will be a malice uh, that's in place for that, for sure.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear
2: excellent i think you know we have a lot to look forward to a lot already to look back on and finally yeah. we have a watch that we can take into our hands yeah. and look at and marvel at so that's happening and you know i look forward to seeing when when we have an entire case made of a lab grown diamond you know you have to
0: sign me up for that <laughs> <laughs> i've still- learned anything this week so far spending time with david it's that he does love a good diamond a do trusty <laughs> I- bezel yes he's he's anyone's for a diamond he's already volunteered to sell children he doesn't have which i'm sure is a very sustainable practice it's,
2: well, I mean, I'm sure that goes against I'm sure them.
0: that goes against one of the P's that's been mentioned.
2: It's probably yeah, at a low level <laughs> of, of sustainability <laughs> that you hold on to your children. Yeah well we'll see how that goes but uh, you know Aurelia thank you so much this is a wonderful so much, insight into all your efforts it's a real at Brightling into sustainability and I thank feel you, like uh, there's an entire industry waiting to, to follow in your footsteps for sure. Thank yes thank you for joining thank us. Thank
3: you so much it was really good to be with you.
0: Goodbye. Bye everyone.
2: Bye
3: bye.
0: So that was it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you appreciated from just the audio how seriously Brightling are taking this. I felt really engaged. Because they were really engaged. This was clearly something that they were taking seriously. It wasn't just window dressing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just window dressing. It was a serious attempt to look at the entire organization and actually go through it piece by piece, the supply chain. I'm big on supply chains. It's what I also do for a living. So I could identify that they were looking in exactly the right places and forming proper relationships. And once we'd stopped recording, the conversation continued. It wasn't just a... That's great, we've got our message across, let's move on. No, the people who were in the room were actually genuinely engaged in the process and keen and were fighting their corner. Although it did really seem like they didn't have to fight terribly hard because the whole organisation really does appear to be engaged in the process. And I was particularly impressed with the fact that they're being open book about it, they're sharing the supply chain so that others can get involved, which actually is the really big step that needs to be made, in my opinion. It's all very well big multinational companies figuring out how to do this stuff, but it only really bleeds through into the rest of society if the information is shared. It's like Volvo creating the three-point seatbelt and then not parting it because they realize it was important for everybody. Same sort of process. They have opened their books as to how to do this, and hopefully everybody else will now cotton on. Any particular highlights for you, David?
1: Absolutely i think the the lack of transparency that define the watch industry and still continues to define it it's it's shocking in a way that cannot be overstated you know given the margins on this product you know they like to praise themselves these brands and, and this industry i should say and yet you know the concern for you know the sourcing of the gold where it's coming from all that it raises a number of ethical questions that are really pressing and about time that we address these and you know other luxury industries fashion what have you automotive have all Taken this direction, and it was about time that somebody in the watch industry started. So stay tuned for you know the developments of the watch industry with regards to sustainability. It's going to be an exciting and complicated journey because this is totally not how this industry has operated for the last 250 years.
0: Yes, so thank you very much for tuning in. Remember and tune in to a regular show on a Thursday. So it's goodbye from me.
1: Goodbye. Uh, bye everyone. Thanks for listening.